from Daylight and Media 3 Limited, I'm Kazuki Akiba. I'm Tara Hori. And this is a new season of Sayonara Baseball. This is a podcast where you and I find unseen baseball gems by analyzing them alongside different trends, news, and motivation behind many moves around the league today. And today, we discuss the history of opening day and how that has evolved throughout the years. And here to talk more about the history of opening day is Bobby from the YouTube channel Out of Here Baseball. He creates weekly videos focusing on the current and historical stats of different baseball players. Off the bench for the Cardinals, and there's a fly ball. Hit back in a deep right center field. Lorenzo King got it at the wall! Lorenzo King to end the game! Not today, says Lowe. Not today. Unbelievable. It didn't take long, did it? And today, for the first episode of this season, we'd like to introduce our guest and YouTube rising star, Bobby from Out of Here Baseball. Welcome, Bobby. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So today, we're here to talk more about the opening day together, which is in a few weeks, despite the whole outbreak that's happening in the world right now. How are you feeling about opening day? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think we got the earliest opening day on record starting March 26th. You know, usually you start off in April, early start. Hopefully, weather's been nice. Hopefully, no snow up there in the northern cities like we've seen in the past couple seasons. Right. I think that's going to be like a... (laughs) You know, the tr- tricky part, but right now, like, uh, we're, we're based in New York, so a lot of the weather is going to be in the 50s, 60s, so it's going to be pretty nice uh, for spring baseball, honestly. We're really excited about it. So what would you say is, like, your favorite, like, opening day moment that you grew up with? Ooh, there's quite a few to choose from, but a recent one, when I was watching MLB Network, it was in 2013, Clayton Kershaw, he had a pitch the complete game shutout, nine innings, no earned runs. But it was 0-0 going into the eighth inning, and he let off the bottom of the eighth with a home run, took a one nothing lead. And Kershaw followed by Crawford and Ellis. And a high fly ball to center. Pagan going back. It's over his head. It's over the fence. And the Dodgers took it on from there, won 4 nothing. I'm not even a Dodgers fan, but Kershaw at his peak was just something extraordinary to watch. And when a pitcher takes the game into his own hands, breaks the tie, like you got to respect that. No, I agree with you. Kershaw, between the years uh, 2011 to 2017, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. Those seasons alone is a Hall of Fame status, honestly, for him. Bobby, what team do you like? And are you just a pure baseball fan? I'm a Phillies fan. All right. The Phillies are looking good. Yeah, Girardi and uh, Didi. You've got Girardi. You've got all the (laughs) (laughs) ex-Yankees. I like the Phillies. Girardi and Didi They might be a pitcher short. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't a big fan of Gabe Kapler. Like, I wanted to like him, but, you know, Girardi, he comes in with the experience and hopefully, you know, get us into the playoffs for the first time since 2011. Right. It's been that long. And that was like your last 101 season, too. Yeah, we won uh, 101, 102 games. And then next season, we believe we won 81 yeah, you guys had like a 500 team after that. Yeah, and that's what we were last season too. Since you're a Philly fan, I was wondering what is your favorite opening day moment for the Phillies? 
it was probably the last time I had genuine hope with the Phillies, uh, all the way back in 2012. Um, Mm -hmm. Roy Halladay had eight innings pitched and no earned runs. Then Jonathan Papelbon came in and got the three out save. Ground ball to third, backing up on a Polanco. He's going to have to hurry the throw. Wigginton hangs on to the bag. And the Phillies have won opening day against the Pittsburgh Pirates by a final score of one to nothing. So it was a one nothing win, you know, coming off the 100 win season. And uh, Ryan Howard had, you know, in the postseason previously, he had uh, did something to his ankle. I forget the exact injury. But, you know, things were looking bleak. Right had like my last strain of hope, like, oh, maybe things will be okay this season, but it hasn't, didn't really work out, you know. Ring, it's official. The opening of the baseball season sees President Kennedy on hand in Washington as the Senators play the Detroit Tigers in the new $20 million District of Columbia Stadium. Largest crowd in Washington baseball history, 45,000, and a couple of hundred photographers see the president throw out a looper for the players to scramble for in a free-for-all. We want to go right back into the history of opening day. So I, I guess I'll start off with you, Bobby. Like, what is, like, the, um, how did, like, opening day, like, actually begin? Or how did the sports of baseball begin? And how did opening day became such a big tradition for us today? Well, we can really go back to the Cincinnati Reds. You know, they were baseball's first professional team. No, they still hold that distinction. They host or have a opening day home game every year since then, except for a few exceptions. But I was reading uh, Frank Bancroft. He was just really heavy with promoting the game there in Cincinnati. And uh, since Cincinnati was, you know, more of a southern city, you know, baseball is all based in the northeast. All the teams wouldn't mind coming to Cincinnati for opening day. And basically that grew from there just doing really good promotion of opening day. What Bobby mentioned is right. Season openers in the early days of baseball were nothing special. Cincinnati's home opener, as was true with all the other clubs, drew little attention from the press and the public. No sellout crowds, no ceremonies, and no parades. But things changed in the late 1880s. Motivated in part by the formation of a second major league, teams began to compete more aggressively for attention and fans. And opening day became the first move in the promotion wars of the baseball season. Over time, partly due to the geography, opportunism, and money, Cincinnati became the king of opening day in baseball. This was due to location. Cincinnati was the southernmost city in the league, which meant less groundskeeping and warmer weather. Most teams were happy to go on the road for more comfortable conditions. By 1900, most of the traditions we associate with opening day were in place. Huge turnouts at the ballpark, festivities, and pregame parade like introducing the players. We welcome the 40-time American League champions and 27-time world champions, the New York Yankees. And now, ladies and gentlemen, presented by Halstead, the Yankees' starting lineup. First, the manager, number 17, Aaron Boone, number 17. No doubt, part of the reason like opener was so celebrated in Cincinnati was a quirk of the schedule. The Reds are scheduled to open every season at home. It has been this way every year with the exception in 1876 when the Reds first joined the National League. No other team has granted this privilege ever since. 
When baseball began promoting opening day more aggressively, the Reds led by business manager Frank Bancroft had a built-in advantage with this schedule in hand. The Reds could make this an annual affair, and throughout the 1890, after the Reds rejoined the National League, Bancroft tirelessly promoted the opener. And for that, Bancroft, or Bainey, as he was fondly called, is remembered as the father of opening day. Opening day in Cincinnati takes place at Finley Market and will be celebrating its 101st anniversary right before the opening day game between the Cincinnati Reds and St. Louis Cardinals. While opening day became an unofficial local holiday for the city of Cincinnati, how has it impacted the rest of the nation? Well, it has something to do with one pretty important person, the President of the United States. Uh, William Howard Taft, when he was president, throwing out a ceremonial first pitch um, may have been the first uh, recorded instance of that happening. And then that same game was uh, one of the popular stories of him standing up during the seventh inning, doing the seventh inning stretch. There's indications that that happened before, but now that the president was doing, everyone was like, oh, we should follow suit. And right. really, this we started acceptable now. two traditions in one day with one president. And, you know, that kind of goes to the whole nationalism of opening day. It's like sort of a national holiday. It is indeed. I, I think opening day in general kind of since that moment in 1876 and onwards, like it kind of created this like momentum of like, hey, this even though we might not get a national holiday to get off of work or anything, this mm -hmm. is like a very important day to start off the season of baseball. And, you know, baseball has always been that spring sport that always kicked off like everything around sports. Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, opening day is uh, definitely very Americana, very good way culturally for everyone to come together. And strangely enough, start the summer early. <laughs> right. It's kind of like, you know, in the movie season where you have a, the, your major blockbuster coming out on the first week of May. It's kind of the same thing with sports where baseball kicks everything off for the summer season. Right. For a while, since it would start off in April, I think it would happen like the, the first Monday after the NCAA uh, championship basketball game. So like, you know, the end of basketball I see as a winter sport and then baseball the start of, you know, spring and summer sports. I know like it became a tradition where we involved the pre presidents like President Taft, for instance, and, and, and George Bush also like was like momentous in the opening day of the Washington Nationals uh, Park. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was, I think it was called the RFK uh, Stadium back in 2005 when they, you know, transfer uh, went away from Montreal Expos to become DC. I feel like presidents have always been so influential to the game. What do you think that is? Baseball is America's pastime, uh, even though may have had its roots from United Kingdom, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> but I guess like, I think once the tradition started with, you know, first pitches happening in Washington, the president throwing it out, uh, baseball has, a you know, the heavy hit, uh, history of traditionalists. So just keeping that going. Do you think that trend still is like continuing today in 2020? Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we still see a, a lot of not not teams in Washington, but, you, you know, you see like the mayors of local teams, you know, throwing out the first pitch. You know, it becomes like a, a local event I mean, you call out the entire roster. It's just like this big ceremony. So you have just about everyone important involved in opening day. Like it really is that big moment where baseball can shine as well as like the community that the team plays in. 
that, that's true it's i think it's like the start of the new community and it, that kind of transcends to what like baseball is affecting like culturally today so mm-hmm. yeah definitely I, I i definitely think the opening day again it, i don't want to sound religious but it, you're talking about a sport which has been embedded in most people's lives in this country whether through little league or high school baseball college mm. world series uh the tradition itself brings people together it is forget the fact that people think that it's something of cricket this is baseball and and it's a very popular sport and it's a sport which people as kids dream to be a part of and i think definitely you know when people when little leaguers are thinking about someone like a Bryce Harper or Machado or or Trout Trout yeah. <laughs> or a Tom Seaver or Nolan Ryan I mean we can name all these players Mickey Mantle or Greg Luzinski of the Phillies <laughs> the Bulls. or Steve Carlton they aspire to be able to touch that dream and opening day is definitely the hallmark the fans filing in and looking forward to seeing one of their all-time greats Ichiro is here as tonight the Tokyo Dome plays host to the Seattle Mariners and the Oakland A's as the 2019 Major League Baseball season kicks off from the land of the rising sun. So how has like opening day actually affected baseball that much culturally? Now we talked about the 2003 series, 2004 series, and the Mexico series, and that that included like you know other teams like the Indians who played it back in uh, I believe it was 2017, and then you have the 2019 focused on Ichiro's uh, last heyday um, playing baseball, Major League Baseball it took also place in Japan on opening day, which funny enough took place a couple of days before the reopening day. Because mm-hmm. they also opened around like 25th, I think, in Japan, even though the season didn't start till like maybe a week later. Uh, obviously, that was a really great move for the Mariners, like just have Ichiro for a couple games playing in Japan. Obviously, the impact that he's had on Japan and, and the United States, you know, he only needs one name. Like that, that's all you have to say about him. Like he's that iconic. Uh, I'm sure in Japan, it's like twice the status that he has here that kind of impact that opening day has like kind of brings like even other countries together so where would you say like opening day should open up next besides like japan or mexico where should they like focus on to bring like this like significant similar impact to the game right i I believe they did puerto rico one year i think there's been a couple you know baseball regular season games take place in puerto rico I feel like that would be a logical step maybe somewhere else in latin america i don't know if dominican republic could be possible probably more so than venezuela just due to political tensions would seem more right. feasible one one day one day i'd say united kingdom would be opening day like we see a game in london honestly germany's picked up in baseball a lot lately so uh, i don't know that's far future i think puerto rico or dominican republic would be most likely Puerto Rico like especially like because it's still U.S. territory like might as well Mm -hmm. open up in a U.S. territory before uh, expanding more into it I also thought Panama might be an interesting one too because Mm -hmm. there's also been a trend Mm -hmm. trend there in Latin America but you're right about Germany like you know we have a really talented uh, twins player Max Kepler Kepler. like who's rising star and I think that's one and also uh, the other one I thought about is Italy too I think they have a couple crops of players that might be coming up out of there I know Piazza from Italy but um (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, once uh, I guess the coronavirus stuff, you know, is gone from them, um, right? That could also be a possibility. Opening day is like so significant and big in America, but why do you think, even though it's so big, hasn't really helped baseball in the past uh, few years? Like it's so it's been going on a downward trend in terms of attendance. I think that's just probably marketing. You know, football and basketball have really kind of overtaken baseball and popularity here in the United States. I, I will say that, you know, being involved with MLB on, you know, social media and seeing how that landscape has changed, I think they are reaching out to that younger audience now, which is good to see. But also ticket prices, honestly, are really high. I feel like that's got to right. play a big part in that. And maybe like cold weather at times too, but this year that shouldn't be too much of an excuse. So ticket prices, that, that's a big one for me. Coming up after the break, Bobby, Taro, and I discuss how the opening day is today. And we also discuss about our boldest predictions for the 2020 season. Well, there he is, Garrett Cole. Everybody gets their attention. The ears up and you just want to see this guy pitch. What's he going to bring to the Yankee staff? I'll tell you what, he brought a lot last year. He was a dominant pitcher in the American League. So opening 2020, what are you excited about first? Well, uh, personally with the Phillies, you get to see, you know, how the new team comes together. We get to see Didi Gregorius back in action, hopefully for a healthy year. I think opening day for any team, you have that level of optimism, like everyone's zero and zero. Honestly, anything can happen. We could see, like, I don't know, the Tigers or Marlins could end up having a good start to the season and their whole perception changes. And there's also quite a few, uh, I like the trend recently, rookies aren't being held down in the minors for a couple weeks due to the service time rules. You know, we had to see right. uh, him in his last Chris year, Bryant. Tatis, Alonzo. And then this year, I know the Mariners have quite a few. Uh, the White Sox with Luis Robert is going to be yeah. opening day center fielder. So it's it's good to see that change happen. You're right that there's a lot of sense of optimism because you don't know what's going to happen in the early season. Like if you look at 2019's Mariners, they had a 13-2 start. Who expected that? Same was the Mets, what, like seven game winning streak in 2018? Like, yeah. like who expected all that? And, you know, then reality kind of hits. So you're right that there's a lot of really optimistic view about what the team could do. Oh, can I add something? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. <laughs> we, we forget. It, this year, it's going to be a 26-man roster. Oh, right. So, and so that's kind of exciting. You, we can kind of guess and pick on all the teams who's, who's a fringe that gets to stay. You know, I think that's, that's kind of interesting. Like, and then also the, the three-batter minimum is going to be put in place this season. So you have to see how that plays right. out. Because you can't have any more specialists. Like they have to pitch to at least three batters now. Right. Which I, I don't I don't know if that's gonna like really affect the game like that much. Like it, like it sucks for I, the I, team. I think definitely on a national league there's more play with the pinch hitters and I think the I don't know the details of the whole switching the pitcher to a player's position and back. I think that rule has changed too. Right. It might restrict uh, Tampa Bay's like uh, way of playing games. I know what Tampa likes to do, especially last year, is um they bring in like let's say a like a like a Castillo, right, for instance, um, to pitch to one batter who's a righty and then there's gonna left hander come up. What they like to do is like they wanna put someone into the bench and make him play first base and bring in a left handed pitcher instead. Mm -hmm. And once the left handed pitcher plays, he switches with him and he plays first base and then 
Diego goes back, Diego Castillo goes back to pitching. There was that one incident where he just uh, switched it up. I think that was a game was the Red Sox where Cora was like really complaining about like why are they like switching like players out of nowhere. Yeah, it's unique. I and mean, that's just the race for you. I believe the Reds may have done that a couple times with Michael Lorenzen playing left field as well. But, uh, right, he's a two-way. Yeah, right? I, I know the designations have been refined a bit with the two-way players. So, I mean, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, get to see Otani playing two ways or get to pitch this season after <laughs> being injured so much. I'm also excited for uh, Brendan McKay right, you know, to finally right. come out from the Rays. Hopefully, I know he's better pitcher than a hitter, but I think being able to see that will be kind of cool for a two-way player. I think, yeah, that those will be kind of the challenges for all the teams to navigate to see who they really want to cut and bring in. Like for the Yankees, for instance, they have injury bugs again, but with, do they still want to carry more pitchers? like they usually do or do they want to carry more utility guys who could play at like four or five positions at once like two or three like a Tyler Wade or someone um, like Herrera who's coming up in a camp like, like what what do you think teams want to do now do they want to carry more multi-positional players or do they want more pitchers yeah I mean it really I guess it depends on the team I, I think there is a limit on the number of pitchers you can carry I think it might be 14 honestly I forget but uh I think you could see more teams carry a third catcher, maybe one that can also play a different position. But I'm interested to see if anyone carries like a base running specialist or just a really speedy outfielder. Can't do much else except for field and run bases. But you know, as a late inning defensive replacement or, you know, tie game in the ninth, you get a pinch runner. Like suddenly they have a spot on the bench for that type of person. Like Terrence Gore is he's one that always comes to mind. And Billy Hamilton yeah. this year. Actually, we did look up real quick that the max pitcher you could have is 13 still. 13, so I guess okay. it it is another position player's um so you're you're right there it could be a, either a third catcher like a William uh, Astillo from the Twins who could play catcher or third base right. or you, it could be like a pinch runner or who who's like a really good defensive specialist. So I think that'll be the interesting part of like 2020. But my one of my biggest question is what a success in t- uh, opening day translate to regular season success what is that trend going right um so I, I did a little bit of research into this yesterday so teams that win opening day go on to win have a winning record that season um 60 of the time and uh, this is over the fa- past five seasons so uh honestly that doesn't say too much because obviously <laughs> well uh, you could probably choose any day of the season like how do teams do on the 50th day of the season Oh, teams that have a winning record win 60% of the time, again, because the winning teams are going to win a higher percentage of games. So is it a is it because they win on opening day that they have a winning season? I doubt it. It's probably not a correlation. One thing that was interesting was uh, postseason. Over the last five seasons, teams that made the postseason were 33-17 and 17 on opening day, so about a 66% winning percentage. A crapshoot either way. If you if you went opening day, there might be a better odds of you having success not only in the regular season but also in the postseason. But that also doesn't mean like you you're gonna actually win the whole like crown or what the commissioner said a piece of metal. Uh, yeah, not not the best comment on that one. <laughs> but that's the great thing about baseball, right? I mean, statistically, you're always looking at the numbers and saying, okay, this is the percentage and this is what's gonna happen. And you hope I am I'm a firm believer. Okay opening day you hope you you know it's a mood situation oh hey they won the first game right right? yeah and then it and it carries forward and 
You know, some teams, you know, you look at the Red Sox in the past couple of years, they just start out the gate slow and, well, they lose the momentum or or like the Nationals last year. I mean, they were phenomenal. They were just, lang you know, they were languishing in, in, you know, third, fourth place. And then, you know, all of a sudden, midseason, they were just unstoppable. They were just rolling everyone. I mean... That's that's the great nature of baseball. You just don't know. Right. So I guess the answer to that question is it's yes and no. Yes, it could be a possibility, but no, that it does not really translate to succeeding in the full big picture. Like, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it, it, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But that's why we always dream about these, your your, your favorite team with, with the rosters. And I call them the super rosters now because we all, you know, all the teams gear up for these opening day rosters and you look one or two months into the season, all of a sudden, well, it's not the way it turned out. Right. No. You have all these all-star players, and all of a sudden, you're just down to a 4A or a triple-A guy playing a couple important positions. Um, I guess that's the nature of baseball where people just get injured. Well, more more so now than before. So right. I think that's, that's the crazy part. Like, we, we're just so hyped up about, hey, this team is so good because of all of these, like, statistics. And on paper, we're going to be amazing. And next thing you know, nothing clicks. And we're just a mediocre team. In a way, like, now when I go into, like, the big step, like, what is your, like, bold prediction? For instance, like, you know, White Sox and the Reds, they really bolster their roster right. like, really well. Um like they on look on paper, they look like, like a contender. But what do you think? Yeah, um, I'm a bit more high on the Reds just because the division is you know kind of up in the air, um, and they already had the the good pitching in place, uh, Bauer, Gray, and Castillo. That's like a lethal front three of the rotation. The White Sox, like, I, I like the moves that they made. I think they're still like a year away from being legitimate postseason contenders. I mean, they could surprise this year, but there's a lot of young players there so it's just a matter of how long it takes for them to really adjust to the major leagues and especially their divisions actually now gotten pretty competitive now was the twins yeah like being a, a lethal force now and indians are still capable you know they're capable of contending so uh, as far as like bold predictions um uh, I guess the Reds winning the NL Central. I don't think it's that bold because I think a lot of pe people are like, oh, they're one to watch this season. But back on the White Sox, Lucas Giolito, I think it, if the White Sox are to do well this year, seriously, watch him as to be one of the like top three Cy Young contenders for this season. I agree. I think him. I am also pretty high. My other my bold prediction will be Oakland A's taking the division. Okay. AL West division. I think that's gonna be pretty bold, despite the whole cheating scandal or not. Like you know, Astros are still a pretty stacked team. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're really stacked. Um, and and their pitching is still intact. So I think I think there was the A's. They had the whole hitting and the defense. It's a matter of their young rotation now. Mm -hmm. Was uh, Manaya coming back healthy again? And yeah, Lazardo and Puck, who's coming up for the first time in a rotation. And if Mike Fires has anything left, um, so I think that's gonna be the tricky <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> uh, is he is he gonna use his uh, pine tar again to get a perfect game, or you know who knows? Um, I think A's will be some someone I want to like the team I want to really watch because of their young prospects. What about you, Tara? Um, I'm gonna say. My two favorite teams, other than my own favorite, Tampa and Cleveland. I think they are, they're always the slight underdog, but they're really good at developing their players and letting their players, you know, they're given a chance to find success. Um, I'm always always as to how 
they're able to compete, especially down the stretch. They're the wild cards for me. I mean, Cleveland losing Bauer, but and and losing uh, Clubber. 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 Tito Franco is pretty good at at coaching his players through and letting them develop. Uh, Tampa's the same way too with Kevin Cash. I, I just have phenomenal way of trial and error with their pitchers and figuring out how to succeed like no other team. Uh, they're the exciting teams for me. I think Tampa for the AL East, uh, they could win the division potentially if the Yankees, like, you know, unlucky again this year was the uh, injury bug um, because they have the pitching. They had the best bullpen in baseball last year. Um, even though they did trade away Pagan, they still have Nick Anderson, who's probably going to be their closer. Lethal lethal weapon. He could pitch for two innings and probably give you six strikeouts easily. Um, and I think I'm pretty high on their trades with San Diego. Hunter Renfro, I, th- I could see him breaking out for, for the first time. Like, actually having a decent average and a monster year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the Rays, I think Austin Meadows is another one that people are saying, like, oh, he he's a under-the-radar MVP candidate for this season. Uh, I know that there's been talks that he's going to get, like, a big extension, which is good to see from the Rays locking up a player for once. Uh, Man- Manuel Margot, I mean, that's another, at, at another speed defense type. Maybe he's another one with the change of scenery that could finally blossom into the prospect we've been hoping he would be also the uh cardinals hitter uh what was his name uh martinez right jose martinez i think he could be another he's a great pure hitter and he could break out with that dh spot oh for sure yeah i don't know how the yankee season will go with all the injuries you just don't know what to expect out of stanton and judge right now if they're healthy like they probably will win the division but yeah i always i admire the way that the rays have run their teams so far yet the always experimenting with the opener and whatnot. Also the platoons. I forgot about um, uh, Yoshitama Susugo. They brought him in as well. Hopefully big things from him. What is like the team to watch besides the Rays, Cleveland Indians, um, White Sox, or the Reds? Like who, like which uh, team do you feel like is like a couple years away to contending? Like, for example, I really like the Marlins rotations. Like mm-hmm. despite them being pretty bad, I think the rotations are still pretty good. Like you got Yamamoto, Caleb Smith to um, Alcondra, like, and you have a couple other like arms coming up through that system. I think there's a lot of cool stuff. Marlins definitely in a couple years will, will be one to watch. And yeah, also some of the young outfielders like uh, Victor, Victor Mesa and, uh, Harrison, my team to watch would be the Mariners because you know everyone's talking really? about the the White Sox, Padres, or, or Blue Jays as, as ones that'll be uh, contenders. And the Mariners, that was a pretty quick uh, retooling. Wouldn't call it a rebuild necessarily. I guess you could. They've always been trading away their players. Yeah, you know, that's Jerry Depoto's thing. Yeah, just dump anyone quickly as you can. Yeah, I mean they brought in a lot of younger talent. And it's exciting to see, uh, you know, Kyle Lewis in the outfield. Jared Kalenic will be in there. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah. Then who's the first base? I think uh, White at first base. Austin Nola for, I think, catcher. Right, yeah. And maybe uh, Mitch Hanniger comes back strong um, after, I think it was All-Star in 2018. I don't know. That division, everyone is seemingly trying to compete except the Mariners. I mean, they're, you know, a year or two away. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, they're the longest postseason drought in baseball. I think there's reason to be hopeful 
for them for once. Instead of signing like Robinson Cano to a bloated deal and bringing in like older free agents, you know, they have a young core to build around for once. I think they're like two or three pitchers away from probably contending because they could still hit. Right. I think they, they could hit just a matter of pitching. And right now, um, your ace is uh, Marco Gonzalez, uh, you know, for that team. So he's a steady, maybe a three pitcher. Yeah. But I probably agree. not an ace. And then your second one up is Yusei Kikuchi, who probably gave up the most runs in baseball last year. Right. Um, he had probably had the worst ERA, I think, like 5.5. Yeah, hit him in a. I know Jordan Zimmerman was a. He's been struggling for years now. Bobby, here, here's a question for you. We're talking about opening day. All right. In your mind, what do you think, or which division do you think is the toughest division? Toughest. Starting this year for opening day. Um. I think there's a you could go if you're looking at all 30 teams and and if you studied all the stats and all the rosters which division do you really think god this is just gonna be a battle but it's gonna be the most interesting probably the nl east um i think there's the most high-end talent there with four teams that could win the division because like you could say the central is going to be the most nl central will be the most competitive but i think there's more upside with the four teams in the east than the central yeah, I agree with you, Bobby. I, I really think that that's a crapshoot at this point. I mean, if with Girardi and the Phillies, and if they could carve out another 10, 10 more wins or so, I think definitely it's going to be a wild <laughs> stretch, pennant stretch uh, the last two months. Yeah, I agree. I mean, with- there's some serious trades that are going to be happening in that division. I agree with both of you. NL East, definitely, for sure, because... NL Central, while it is competitive, I feel like it's so more mediocre, you know? Like, it's like an 85-win team mm-hmm. just trying to barely make it into the playoffs. Like, if he won his last year, like, you thought the Cubs will still be the favorites, but then, or the Brewers, but they were just um, struggling and struggling, and most, you know, both Cardinals and Brewers barely made the playoffs, like, last yeah. year. And then, if you look at the NL East, like, um, you have the Braves, super talented, mm-hmm. Nationals, like, they're, they're in their final core, and... You got the Phillies, who's in the rise, and the Mets. Like, you know, I feel like more than the Brewers, Mets probably deserved that playoff spot last year was how they played. It's just that their bullpen was just just exploding out of the uh, late innings, and it's their fault. But, like, if you look at their roster, like, on paper, they're still really talented. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I recently did a video on the Mets. You know, the the bullpen is the big reason why everyone thinks that they're going to bounce back. So if that happens, then obviously, you know, there's optimism for them. Obviously, the Phillies are kind of optimistic and then uh, the thing with the Braves and Nationals, they're obviously still talented, but you know the Braves lose Josh Donaldson, Nationals lose Anthony Rendon, so um, obviously the Nationals' best player and one of the Braves' best players. So they'll still be good, but you know it's just not a clear favorite like it has been last season. It'll be interesting to see for sure. And I think there's a lot of bounce back candidates too. Like if you look at Braves, uh, they got Marcel Zuna. Yeah. What like what if he could become that uh, 2015? I mean 2017 form where he could hit 38 home runs again? Or um, are, are the Nationals really betting on the uh, trio of uh, Castro, Cabrera, I mean Howie Kendrick to like bounce and like hit well? Or their uh, Carter Keyboom? I guess another prospect to look at. Like is he gonna really be on the rise and help them um, get into the playoffs again? Um, 
like we we really don't know yet. Or even with the Phillies, uh, we didn't really talk about Jake Arrieta. Like you know, is he right. gonna be healthy again and be that you know not the ace, but at least a consistent arm, as well as like who's gonna really get that four or five spot between a uh, Pavetta, Eflin, and um, Velasquez. Yeah, uh, I know with Arietta, it's been a pretty underwhelming. But uh, he, as long as he can just be like a consistent, you know, ERA, like in the low fours and going out there, you know, every fifth day being the ground ball type pitcher, because, you know, there's upside with Eflin and uh, I'm a bit more high on uh, Pavetta as a starter. I, th- I think Velasquez is more of a relief pitcher personally, but uh now, there's definitely reason for optimism there. You can see why baseball and opening day, that dream becomes big, right? It's just kind of like Hollywood, right? You you pick up these actors out of nowhere. Baseball's the same way. It's that dream. I think so. I mean, right. the dream to be in the show, right? Yeah. As, as Kevin Costner would say is, it is the show and it is the cathedral and, 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 and it is opening day and... And, and, and as a kid, you dream to be part of that, that team. And here's what else you need to know about this opening day. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred announced that the start of the 2020 regular season will be pushed back until at least the middle of May. But many of us predict an early July start date is more likely. That's it for this episode of Sayonara Baseball. Sayonara Baseball is hosted and produced by me, Kazuki Akiba, and Tara Hori, guest starring Bobby from Out of Here Baseball. Please check out his YouTube channel for his video series, Stat Stories, where you'll find data-driven stories about players and teams, both current and historical. This episode was edited by Kazuki Akiba, with additional research and editing by Maria Tierney. Our theme song is by Kane Margus. Great laptop mixed this episode. Sayonara Baseball is a production of Daylight and Media 3 Limited. We'll be back with another episode. If you liked this episode, please rate, review and subscribe to our podcast as more people will know about this show go to daylightinteractive.com to see some exclusive updates and more about our upcoming shows i'm kazuki akiba i'm tara hori and this has been sound baseball